0: Hello, and welcome back to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm Rob Hoyle. This is part two of our very special conversation with Dr. Soheg Sangani and our deep dive into ECT, which stands for electroconvulsive therapy. In part one, the director of the ECT service at Zucker Hillside Hospital told my co-host Sandra Lindsay and I all about this procedure, how it works and who benefits from it and how it really changes people's lives. That episode is in our feed and I highly recommend that you check it out. Now here in part two, we pick up the conversation by addressing the stigma that surrounds ECT from negative portrayals in movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Stranger Things to its evolution and its decades long track record of safety as a fast acting solution for difficult to treat severe depression. Here is part two of our conversation with Dr. Soheg Zangani. Yeah, before you mentioned drama, and we talked about the medical students observing, and I observed, and there's no drama. But drama, Hollywood is good at drama. So the dramas like, you know, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Stranger Things shows a real, like this person being forced and held down. That's drama. That's not true. Uh,
1: uh, Correct. that's, That's drama. That's not true. So the modern ECT is called modified ECT, where we give general anesthesia and the muscle relaxant. People have seen unmodified ECT and they said that they were upset because of what they saw. And the reason for that is when it was done without anesthesia and muscle relaxant, when you do the stimulus, the body goes into contraction. If you, if you want to imagine or recreate it, look at a mirror and try to contract your jaw muscles and ask anyone to read your expression. They are going to read it as if you are in a lot of stress. So the body would go into contraction and those contractions could result in in fractures. So that's why they needed people to hold down the limbs. Now, when all the muscles are contracting, sometimes the air inside the cavities would come out against a closed glottis, against your uh, voice box. And that can produce an ah, ah, ah sound. So for an outsider, you are seeing there are four people holding the patient uh, to prevent those fractures, and the ah-ah-ah sound is coming out, that gave ECT such a bad reputation. Patients themselves were not uh, under distress, because as soon as we pass the stimulus, patient becomes unconscious. Uh, you cannot be awake during a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. But that scene created negative perception. for. Uh, it was traumatic for a bystander.
0: And when you talk about that small seizure that happens inside the room, the patient doesn't even know that because they're sleeping.
1: Correct. They are, they are under general anesthesia. They don't feel anything. Yeah. There was a time uh, in the history where people tried to use ECT for things that were not indications, and that line was not clear. clear. There were so many different diagnoses, and then there were people did use it to control behavior. Sometimes people used it indiscriminately in past, and sometimes clinicians uh, were not involved in the decision-making, and uh, the other staff member was making, especially in the asylums, uh, uh, other staff was making decisions about who gets ECT, who does not get ECT. So all those things gave bad reputation. Uh, But uh, in all these years, uh, and in between, uh, there was uh, there were medications which were thought to be so effective that they would obliterate the need for ECT. But over the last few years, we have realized that there are still patients who need ECT as the treatment of choice.
0: Zucker Hillside is doing 7,000 of these treatments each year and are at the forefront of this treatment. But it's also, in the United States itself, 100,000 treatments a year. So it's being used pretty widely.
1: Yes, it is being used very widely. And uh, in past, because of stigma, patients were not coming out. But the patient that you interviewed, uh, and then there are many other people who are volunteering to uh, to dispel the myths around ECT like Kitty Dukakis uh, who has also allowed her treatment to be recorded and and then there are many other people who are uh, uh, willing to disclose their stories. Uh, the thing with ECT is that many people don't want to go out in public and say I had ECT sure. uh, because of the stigma uh, right. but as awareness is improving we are hoping that Uh, it won't stay stigmatized uh, long.
0: Yeah, And I think that's what's so important about this podcast and raising awareness to let people know, because I think a lot of people do have that stigma in their head, like, I don't want to do that. I don't, you know, I saw the movies, but, you know, it actually really makes a big difference. And for the patient I interviewed, it was life-changing.
1: Yes, and we have many patients, uh, uh, most of our patients have found this as life-changing and they would continue maintenance, ECT, to reduce the risk for relapse, Because they have been through so many relapses, so they don't want to take a chance. And uh, Sandra, from uh, your work, you know, like uh, people sometimes get uh, focused on low probability event uh, very much. And then because of the low probability risk, and if it has been uh, hyped up so much, Mm -hmm. they avoid a beneficial treatment. Uh, and And that sometimes happens with ECT. So we spend a lot of time uh, during our ECT consult to discuss uh, the uh, side benefits uh, and 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 the risks and then the details of the side effects before someone goes for ECT.
2: Are there any patients that um, would be excluded from ECT therapy?
1: Excellent question, Sandra. So, theoretically, there is no absolute contraindication for ECT. Now, that's what is the answer for our board exams. (laughs) However, there are uh, certain conditions where we would avoid ECT. So, if a patient had a recent heart attack, if they had a very recent stroke, so anything that is going to make them at high risk for complications.
2: Pregnancy is not one of them.
1: Oh, uh, no. Pregnancy is is not one of them. Actually, uh, in the first trimester, uh, many patients are worried about uh, taking medications. And ECT is a very safe treatment during pregnancy. We do have to take extra precautions during pregnancy, but ECT is a very safe, very safe treatment.
0: So when we say that, you know, uh, Zucker Hillside is doing 7,000 treatments a year, obviously this is something that, that you guys are at the forefront of. And pretty much tell us the history, because I know we, this was the, one of the first hospitals to really start this.
1: Yes. So ECT started in, in Europe uh, in 1938. And in 1941, uh, we were already doing ECT. So the ECT service at Zucker Hillside has been in existence since 1941. It has been the site of many NIH and NI, uh, NIMH-funded studies, So, and, and many of those studies have shaped the direction of the practice of ECT. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we uh, uh, we are very proud of uh, what we do, uh, and uh, we continue to be involved in clinical care as well as uh, research. Uh, Currently, we have uh, neuroimaging studies, uh, we have genetic studies, uh, as well as clinical uh, efficacy studies uh, that that are going on here.
0: Yeah. And you know what I find so interesting is that, you know, in preparing for this podcast, you shared this great New York Times article about the opening of the hospital. The published date on that was October 15th, 1941. And it mentions the various services it would go on to offer, including ECT.
2: That's correct, Rob. Um, It said ECT um was implemented then to decrease length of stay. <laughs> uh, because before that, patients were hospitalized for months
1: that is to correct. treat
2: depression.
1: That is correct. Uh, uh, remember, there was no psychiatric treatments. Uh, the first antidepressant uh, and antipsychotic, they they were in quite late after 1950s. So until then, the treatment was psychotherapy alone and some rehabilitation. Uh, And patients used to be in the hospital for months uh, and sometimes years. Uh, The very first patient that was treated with convulsive therapy, where they induced convulsion using camphor, was in the hospital in a catatonic state for four years. And the convulsive therapy uh, got him better and he went back home. So so what exactly is camphor?
2: So it has a distinct smell. Yeah, camphor,
0: camphor has a very and distinct yeah. smell. It brings on a seizure, but it doesn't really, you don't really know when the seizure is going to happen.
1: Correct. So yeah. patients would wait. And then you would also get multiple seizures. Wow. Okay. So so patients had to wait, and then you, you'd you not know when it's going to happen. So it would cause anxiety. And then yeah. you can have more than one seizure. So discharge is a, you don't know.
2: So how did the camphor work? That's interesting.
1: So the history of in older days there used to be this concept of mutually incompatible illnesses, where before advent of penicillin, the treatment for neurosyphilis was malaria, where they would induce malaria parasites, produce a fever that would kill the Treponema pallidum or the spirochetes and and cure uh, neurosyphilis. Around that time, uh, Maduna he was studying brains of patients of schizophrenia and patients with epilepsy, and he saw opposite pathology. So the patients with epilepsy, certain areas of their brain were swollen, and the same, same area in patients with schizophrenia was shrunken. And that led him to look into whether patients with epilepsy did not have psychosis, and most patients with schizophrenia did not have seizure disorder, and so he he was the pioneer who thought that maybe seizure has a therapeutic role, and he was looking for what he can use to induce seizure safely, and he came up with camphor, and and that's how convulsive therapy was born. However, uh, when patients were getting camphor, they had to wait, and they would wait in anxiety for the seizure to come. Uh, and that's where ect was born where benni and sarlet in 1938 they found that ect can be used in a safe reliably safe and effective manner to induce a seizure and and and, uh, and it, uh, it reduced anxiety because patients did not have to wait wait for the seizure to happen uh, and then it spread all across the globe fascinating
2: wow Well, I do hope we continue to hear more people telling their stories. I mean, this is a treatment that has been in existence for over 80 years, um, yet so little is known about it. So if you had to give an elevator speech, what would it be?
1: ECT is a very safe and highly effective treatment for patients who have uh, depression or treatment-resistant schizophrenia. One should not be afraid of the treatment. Uh, it, it can it can change life uh, and and save lives.
0: So, from what I understand, psychiatry residents are coming to Zucker Hillside, and they're coming from all over. They're coming from Japan, Brazil, Norway, Australia. Why are so many people seeking the expertise of the doctors and staff here at Zucker Hillside?
1: So, uh, so Zucker Hillside has a has have been on the forefront of the practice of ECT for. For decades. Uh, we, we have been part of uh, making the ECT guidelines uh, which are being followed by American Psychiatric Association. So uh, Dr. Petridis had been uh, and Dr. Bayline, which, who used to lead the service prior to me, they had been part of the task force. We offer a training course uh, that is attended by trainees across the country as well as from outside of United States where they come uh, to Zucker Hillside to get trained in administration of ECT. And good amount of it is because of the scholarly work that has resulted from Zucker Hillside, funded by NIMH, which is National Institute of Mental Health, as well as NIA, National Institute of Aging, uh, and other national institutes. Uh, And that has contributed a lot to the scientific literature.
0: Dr. Sangani, thank you so much for joining us here on 20-Minute Health Talk.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rob and Sandra, and greatly appreciate uh, all the work that you guys have been doing.
0: And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. I'm Rob Hoyle.
2: And I'm Sandra Lindsay. Thank you for listening. Get more expert insight from the leading voices in healthcare today. You can subscribe to 20-Minute Health Talk,